Inspector Bride, the Castle Hermworth, the close of the year 1655, was the result of fashion and gaiety. A baron of that name was the most powerful nobleman in Germany, equally celebrated for the patriotic achievements of his sons and beauty of his only daughter. The estate of Hensworth, which was situated in the centre of the Black Forest, been given to one of his ancestors by the gratitude of the, na- of the nation, ascended from another hereditary characteristically possessions to the family of the present owner, his castellated Gothic mansion, built according to the fashion of the times, in the grandest style of architecture, consisted principally of the dark, winding corridors and vaulted tapestry rooms, magnificent indeed in their size, but ill-suited to the private comfort and the very circumstances of the jury multitude. A dark grove of pine and mountain ash of compass, a castle every side, and through an aspect of gloom around the scene, which seldom enlivened by the cheering sunshine of heaven. A castle bells rang out a merry peal, as the approach of winter twilight, and the warder was stationed with his virtue on the battlements to announce the arrival of the company who were invited to share the amusements that, that reside within the walls. Lady Clotilia, a baron's only daughter, had but just attained her seventeenth year. A brilliant assembly was attended to celebrate the birthday. A large vaulted apartments were thrown open for reception of numerous guests, and the gaieties of the evening had scarcely commenced. Well, a clock from the dungeon tower was heard to strike with unusual similarity, and an instant a tall stranger arrayed in a dark suit of black made his appearance in the ballroom. He bowed courteously to each on each side, but was received by all with the strictest reserve. No one knew who he was or whence he came, but it is evident from his appearance that he was a nobleman of the worst rank. Those whose introduction was accepted with distrust. He was treated with all with respect. He addressed himself particularly to the daughter of the Baron, and was so intelligent in his remarks, so lively in his salities, so fascinating in his address, he quickly interested the feelings of this young and sensitive auditor. In fine, a lover, after some hesitation, a part of the host, who, with the rest of the company, was unable to approach the stranger with deference, he was requested to remain a few days at the castle invitation, which he was cheerfully accepted. The dead of night drew on, and when all retired to rest, the dull, deep, deep, the dull, heavy bell was heard, swinging to and fro in the grey tower, through which there was scarcely a breath to move the mountain forest trees. Many of the guests, when they met the next morning at a breakfast table, arrayed that it would have been sounds as the most heavenly music, while all persisted in affirming that they had heard awful noises proceeding, as if it seemed from the apartment which the stranger had at that time occupied. He soon had made his parents a respectful circle, and when the sentences of the preceding night 
alluded to, dark smile of unutterable meaning played around his solitary features and relapsed into expression of the deepest melancholy. He addressed his conservation principally to Colotina. When he talked of the different chimes he had visited, of the sunny regions of Italy, where the very air breathes the fragrance of flowers, and the summer breeze sighs over the land of sweets. When he spoke of her, of some of those delirious countries where the smile of the day sinks into the softer beauty of the night, aloneness of the heavens is never for an instant obscured. He drew tears of regret from the bosom of his fair auditor. For the first time she regretted that she was yet at home. Days rolled on, every moment increased that fervour of inexpressible sentiments which a stranger inspired her. He never discoursed of love. He looked at his language in his manner, in the insinuating tones of his voice, in the slumbering softness in his smile. When he found it succeeded in inspiring her from fable sentiments, a sneer of the most diabolical meaning spoke for an instant and died again these dark featured countenance. When he met her, in the company of her parents, he was once respectful, submissive. It was only when alone with her that rambled through the dark recesses of the forest, he assumed the guise of the most impassionate Amara. As he was sitting one evening with the Baron in the wayne scotted apartment in the library, conversation began to turn upon supernatural agency. Strange remains were observed and mysterious during the discussion. But when the Baron in jocular manner denied the existence of spirits and sarcastically mocked their appearance, his eyes glowed with unearthly lustre, his form seemed to dilate to more than its normal dimensions. When the conversation ceased, a fearful pause of a few seconds, a chorus of celestial harmony was heard pleading for the dark forest glade. All were entered with delight, but the stranger was disturbed and gloomy. He looked up at his noble host with compassion, and something like a tear swam in his dark eye. After the lapse of a few seconds, the music died gently in the distance, and all was hushed as before. The Baron soon quitted the apartment, and was followed almost immediately by the stranger. He did, had not long been absent, an awful noise, as if a person in agonies of death were heard. The Baron was discovered stretched dead along the corridors. His countenance was convulsed with pain, and the grip of the human hand was visible on his darkened, blackened throat. The alarm was instantly given. The castle searched in every direction. The stranger had seen them all. The body of the Baron, which in the meantime was quietly committed to the earth, and remembrance of the dreadful transition, recalled but as a thing that once was. After the dep- departure of the stranger, who had indeed fascinated her very senses, the spirits of the gentle Clotia, Eventually declined. She loved to walk early and late in the walk, in the walks. He had once frequented. Recall his last words. Don't dwell on his sweet smile. In the wonder to the spot 
though she once discoursed with him of love. She avoided all society, never seemed to be happy, but when left alone in solitude of a chamber, is when she gave vent to affliction and tears, a love that the passion of maiden modestly concealed in public, burst forth in the manners of privacy, so beauteous, yet so resigned from a fair mourner. She seemed already to angel freed from the trammels of the world, prepared to take her flight to heaven. As she was one summer evening rambling to the sequestered spot, had been selected as a favourite residence, a slow step advanced towards her. She turned around, to her infinite surprise, discovered a stranger. He stepped gaily to her side and commenced an animated conversation. You left me, exclaimed the delighted girl. I thought all happiness was fled from me forever. But you turn, I shall not be happy again. Be happy, happy," replied the stranger. The scorbutt of the stranger. Can I even ever be happy again? Can there? But excuse it, agitation. My love, input it to the pleasure I experienced at our meeting. Oh, I have many things to tell you. I, and many words, kind words received. It is not so, sweet one. Come, tell me truly. Have you been happy in my absence? No, I see in that sunken eye, in that pallid cheek, in that poor wanderer who has at least gained some slight interest in the heart of the beloved. I have roamed to other climes. I have seen other, other nations. I have met with many, with other females, beautiful and accomplished. But I have met with my oh, one angel, and she is here before me. I set this simple offering of my affliction. Affection. Dearest, continued the stranger, plucking a high heath rose from its stem. It is beautiful as the wildflowers that deck thy hair, and sweet as the love I bear for thee. It is sweet indeed, replied Cordelia, but its sweetness might wither. Thy night closes around. It is beautiful, but it is not a beauty, but its beauty is short-lived. The love enticed by man. Let us not, not let this, not this. Then, by the type of this dye attachment, bring me the delicate evergreen, the sweet flower that blossoms throughout the year. And I will say, as I weave into my, into my hair, the violets have bloomed and died, roses flourished and decayed, but the evergreen is still young. So that, that this is the love of the heart. You will not, cannot desert me. I live but in you. You are all my hopes, my faults, my existence itself. If I lose you, I lose all my, my all. I was but a solitary wildflower in the wilderness of nature, until you transplanted me to a mere, more gentle soil. You can now break the fond heart you first taught to grow the passion. Speak not thus, replied the turned stranger. It rends my very soul to hear you. Leave me, forget me. Avoid me forever, or your eternal ruin must assure I. I am a thing of abandoned, of God a man. And did you but see the sacred heart that scarcely beats within this moving mass of deformity? You would flee me, as you would an adder in your path. There is my, here is my heart, love. Feel how cold it is. There is no pulse that betrays its emotion. For it is all chilled and dead, 
the friends I once knew. Do you are happy, love? Your poor Kalita will stay, show, stay to school you. Think not that I can abandon you in your misfortunes. No, I wander with thee for the wide world, and be thy servant, thy slave, if thou wilt have it so. I will shield thee from the night winds that have blown not too roughly on, our, on thy unprotected head. I will defend thee from tempests that howls around, and through the cold world may devote my scorn, name to scorn. Through friends may pass, tell off, and associate with her in the grave. There shall be one fond heart who shall love and better in thy misfortune, and cherish thee, bless thee still. She ceased, her blue eyes swam in tears, as she turned it glistening with affection towards the stranger. He averted his head from her gaze, a scornful sense of the darkest, the deadliest malice passed over his fine countenance. In an instant the expression subsided. His fixed glassy eye resumed its unearthly chillness. He turned once again to his companion. It is the hour of sunset, he exclaimed, the soft and beauteous hour, when the hearts of lovers are happy, and nature smiles in unison with their feelings. But to me it will smile no longer. They, the tomorrow dawns. I shall f- very far from the house of my beloved, from the scenes where my heart is enshrined, as its servitude. I must leave thee, leave his flower of the wilderness, to be a sport of the well-men, to pray the mountain beast last. No, we will not part, replied the impassioned girl. Where shall thou goest, will I go? Thy home shall be my home, and my God shall be my God. Swear it, swear it, resumed stranger, wildly grasping her by the hand. Swear it to be the fearful truth. I shall dictate, shall dictate. He then desired her to kneel, and holding his right hand in a menacing attitude, until towards the heaven, and throwing back his dark raven locks, exclaimed in a stain of bitter imperation, with a ghastly smile of an incarnated fiend. May the curse of the of an offended god be cried. Hold me cling to thee for ever, the tempest and the calm, the day and the night, in the sickness and the sorrow, in love and death shall us you serve. From the promise thou have here made to be mine, may the dark spirits of the damned howl in thy ears, and the cursed decorous of fiends, may the uh, air rack thy bosom, the quickness flames of hell, may thy soul be the laser house of corruption, where the ghost of departed pleasure sits enshrined, as in grave where the hundred headed worm never lies, where the fire is never extinguished. May the spirit of the evil Lord it over thy brow and proclaim, as I pass by, by this is the abandoned of God and man, may fearful spirits halt thee in the night season. May thy dearest friends drop by day by day into the grave, and curse thee from the, their dying breath. May all that is most horrid in human nature, make solemn that, that language can frame, or lips can be utter. May this and more, more than this, be thy uh, natural, eternal portion, 
that shouldst thou violate the oath thou shalt has taken. He ceased, hardly knowing that she did. The terrified girl is seated, ascended to the awful adoration, and promised eternal fidelity to him who is heavenforth to be her lord. Spirits of the damned, I thank thee for thy assistance, shouted the stranger. I wooed my fair braid bravely. She is mine, mine forever. I, body and soul, both mine. Mine in life and mine in death. What in tears, my sweet one? Ah, yet the honeymoon's past. Why indeed thou have cast her weeping, but next we meet. We shall not, we shall meet to sign the natural bond. He then imprinted a cold salute on the cheek of his young bride. And, softening down the uttermost horrors, Candidates requested to, uh, to meet him at eleven, eight, eight o'clock, the ensuing evening, in the chapel adjoining the, the castle of Hensworth. He turned round to him with a burning sigh, as if to implore protection from himself. But the stranger was gone. I went in the castle, she observed to be pressed with the deepest melancholy. Her relations vainly endeavoured to insertion the cause of her uneasiness. The tremendous oath she had sworn completely paralysed her facilities. She is fearful of betraying herself to even the slightest indications of her voice, or least variable expression of her countenance. When the evening was concluded, the family returned to rest. Her colita was unable to take mate with posts from restlessness of a dis- disposition. Requested to remain alone in the library, adjoined her apartment. All was now deep midnight. Every domestic had long since returned to rest, and the only sound that could be distinguished was the sudden howl of the band dog as he bayed. Away moon, Colita remained in the library in an attitude of deep meditation. A lamp had burnt on the table. Where she sat was dying away. The lower end of the apartment already more than half obscured. A clock from the northern island called the castle told out the hour of twelve, and a sound echoed dismally in the sudden stillness of the night. Sudden the oaken door of the further end of the room was gently lifted off its latch, in a bloodless figure, figure, appalled in the habitats of the grave, about slowly up the apartment. No sound heralded its approach as it moved in noiseless steps to the table where lady was stationed. She did not at first perceive it, till she felt a deaf, cold hand, fast crossed in her own, heard a sermon voice whisper, She looked up. A dark figure was standing beside her. She endeavoured to scream, but her voice was even equal to exertion. Her eyes were fixed, as if by magic, to the form, which slowly removed the garb that concealed its countenance, disclosed the livid eyes and skeleton shape of her father. It seemed to gaze on her pity and a regret, and mournfully exclaimed, Coletta, a dress and the servants are ready. The church bell was tolled, and the priest is at the altar. But where is a, va- a, va- a, va- a fancied bride? There is room for her in the grave, and tomorrow she will be with me. 
Tomorrow fought it out a disgraced girl. All the spirits of hell shall have registered it. And tomorrow must be the bomb be cancelled. The figure ceased. Slowly returned. And soon lost in obscurity the distance. The morning, evening, arrived and ruddy. And the whole clock struck an eight. Cleta on her road to the chapel. It was dark, gloomy night. Thick mass of dull clouds. Sailed through the thick firmament, and the roar of winter echoed awfully through the forest trees. She reached her pointed face. A figure was waiting for her. It advanced, and discovered the feature of the stranger. Why, this is well, my bride, he exclaimed with a sneer. A well will I repay thee fondness. Follow me, they proceeded together in the silence through the winding avenues of the chapel, until they reached an adjoining cemetery. They paused for an instant, and stranger's softened tone said, But one hour more, and the struggle will be over, and yet his heart of this heart of incarnation manis can feel, when it denotes so young, so pure a spirit of the grave. But it must must be receded to the memory of her past love rushed by her mind, for the fiend who I obey was so wounded. Poor girl, I am leading thee. Uh, indeed, to your nuptials, but a priest will be death. My parents are so mouldering skeletons, and rotten heaps around, a witness to the dire union, a lady's worms that prevail on the scarvous bones of the dead. Come, my young bride, a priest is impatient for his victim. As they proceeded, a dim blue light moved swiftly before them, and slayed at cemetery, the churchyard, the portals of the vault. It was open, and he entered it in silence. A hollow wind came rustling through the gloomy abode of the dead, and every side repelled the mouldering remnants of the coffins, which dropped piece by piece down the damp mud. Each step they took was on the dead body, and bleached bones rattled horribly beneath their feet. In the centre of the vault rose a heap of unburied skeletons, where Paul was seated, the figure of two awful even for the darkest imagination to conceive. As they approached it, the hollowed vault rung with a hellish pearl of laughter. Every mouldering corpse seemed endured with holy life. The stranger paused. He grasped his victim in his hands. One sigh burst from his heart. One tear glistened in his eye. It was a fall. An instant, the figure frowned awfully his vacillation, and waved his gaunt hand. The stranger advanced, he made certain mystic circles in the air, uttered unlovely words, and paused in excess of terror. On a sudden, he raised his voice, and wildly exclaimed, Spouse of the spirit of darkness, a few moments are yet thee. Thou thy mist know, to whom thou hast consigned thyself. I am the undying spirit of the wench who cursed his saviour on the cross. He looked at me in the closing hour of his existence. Thou have not yet passed away, for I have curves above my earth, and eternally condemned to hell. I must cater for my smarthest trades till the world is parched as a scroll, and the heavens and earth have passed away. I am, am he of whom thou shalt and may have read of, of whose feats thou mayest have heard, 
rending souls had my master condemned me to ensnare, and even when my penance is accomplished, I may know the repose of the grave. Thou art the thousandth soul I have damned. I saw thee in the fine hour of purity, and marketh thee at once for my home. Thy father did I murder in his temporary. I permitted to warn thee of thy fate. Myself I beguiled for thy sympathy. Ah, the spell worked bravely. Thou shalt soon see, my sweet one, to whom thou have linkest thine and dying fortunes for as long as the seasons shall move on the coil, the course of nature, as long as the lightning shall flash and the thunders roll, thy penance shall be eternal. Look below and see to what thee art destined. She looked at the vault split in a thousand different directions. The earth yawned asunder. The roar of the mighty waters were heard. A living ocean of molten fire glowed. The abyss beneath her are blending with the shrieks of the damned. The triumphant sounds of the fiends rendered horror more horrible than imagination. Ten millions of souls were withering in the fiery flames. The boiling bellows dashed them amongst the blackened rocks of adamant. They cursed the blasphemies of desire. Each curse echoed in thunder across the wave. The stranger rushed towards his victim. For instance, he held her over the burning visor, looked fondly in her face, and wept as he for a child. This was just the impulse, but the impulse of a moment. Again, he grasped her in his arms, dashed her from his fury, and at last, with her last parting glance, was casting the kindness of his face. Show life, not mine, is the crime, but religion that thou professes. For it is not said that here is a fire of eternity, bad souls of wicked. Have they not have occurred of its torments? She, poor girl, heard not. Heard not the shouts of Lassamere. Her delicate form bounded from rock to rock, over bellow and over foam. She fell in the ocean, lushed itself if it were triumphant to receive a soul, and she sunk deep in the burning pit. Ten thousand voices reverberated for the bottom of the spirit. Spirit of the evil, here indeed is an entity of torment prepared for thee, for thy, the worm never dies, the fire is never quenched.